0: In the name of the holy and undivided Trinity, one God. Today's text from First Samuel tells the story of David, the shepherd boy who became king of Israel. God passed over David's seven older brothers, even though they were strong and handsome and very regal. Then God's prophet asked David's father if he had any more sons. He said that he had one more, the youngest, David, who wasn't even considered worth bringing to sacrifice. He had been left behind to watch the sheep. But God chose that youngest son. We acted out this text at the 9 o'clock service, and at this point, the 2-year-old who was playing David, the moment he got chosen, took off and ran for the hills. <laughs> if, his, if his dad hadn't run after him, he would have been in the streets. So he... Might have been onto something about what it means to be chosen by God. But we learn that even though David was strong and handsome, that wasn't why God chose him. Because as the text says, the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God looked past David's outward appearance and saw who he really was. God saw David's heart. And that's what made him choose David. But as we keep reading, God's decision starts to seem stranger and stranger. Because David turns out to be a sort of Shakespearean tragic figure, a deeply flawed, complicated guy. Most of us know the story of David and Goliath, in which a very young David, full of faith and courage, kills a giant with only a slingshot. However, if you keep reading, you'll learn that after the battle was won, the king grew jealous of David and tried to kill him. So David spent years on the run as a mercenary and a bandit. He led an army for hire and would blackmail towns into paying him for protection. In another famous story, after becoming king, David saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop, and after he demands that she comes to the palace and after she became pregnant, he had her husband killed. We don't know if she consented to any of that. Years later, one of his sons assaulted one of his daughters and David was furious but he loved his son too much to punish him. Absalom, yet another son of David's, decided that if David wouldn't avenge his sister, he would. He killed the offender and fled leaving David mourning both of his sons. Years later, Absalom, the avenging son, returned to seize the throne, and the rebellion ended with Absalom's death, with David wishing that he had died instead. From then on, David slowly declined, barely managing to hang on to his throne long enough to hand it to Solomon, his son with Bathsheba. It's very Shakespearean. You could read David's life as a tragedy in which a man is undone by his own faults, his ambition, his self-indulgence. And yet David is still the one that God looked at and said, I know this person's heart, I want him. By the time that Jesus was around, David had, bec- had come to be known as a person after God's own heart, the one after God's own heart. It's worth reading the story with an eye to the question, what is it that God sees in David? Through all those ups and downs, in the midst of all that turmoil, what is it that David sees and says, yes, that's a man after my own heart? I think that it's simply the fact that whatever David's faults were, he loved God, and he had an ongoing, profound relationship with God. He made some terrible decisions, but in the end, he always returned to that first love, to that relationship. Now, if you're like me and you grew up around conservative Christianity, the phrase personal relationship with God might make you start calculating how far it is between you and the nearest exit. But just because they say it doesn't mean it isn't real. In the Bible, David is depicted as living his entire life as an ongoing conversation between him and God. Half of the Psalms in the Bible are poetic conversations with God attributed to David. Psalms of regret and repentance after he realizes what he's done in killing Bathsheba's husband. Psalms of grief when his son Absalom is killed. Psalms of joy from when he ascends to the throne for the first time Israel worships God as a united country. David probably didn't write these psalms himself, but these psalms are Israel's collective memory of how David related to God. They're representations of David's side of an ongoing conversation with the divine. Certainly, David mishears God from time to time, and it seems that there are long periods where he ignores what God has to say. But he always returns. He always picks up the conversation again. He gets angry at God, he feels betrayed, and other times he feels so guilty that he can't speak. But no matter what, David never fully leaves the conversation. He keeps talking to God, he keeps listening for God, even when God might be silent. That's what a personal relationship with God is, I think. It's an open line of communication, a willingness to open your heart to God to speak what's there, whether it's pretty or not. To share your anger and your hope and your jealousy and your love, the good stuff and the bad stuff. And then to re- hold on to an openness to God's response. After all, that's what we do when we love someone, isn't it? We share our lives with them. What's happening, how we feel about it, what makes us sad, what makes us happy. We listen to what the other person has to say, even if it's not what we want to hear. We live our lives alongside the people that we love, in their company. That's what relationship with another person looks like, a friend, a family member, a spouse. And that's what relationship with God looks like, too. A long dialogue, a sort of back and forth of words and actions in the context of genuine care relationship with God isn't a feeling sometimes we can feel like failures as Christians if we don't feel God's presence if we don't feel happy when we're supposed to feel happy or sad when we're supposed to feel sad but if you think about it one of the first things that we learn in any kind of relationship is that other people aren't there to make us feel the way that we want to And if we're willing to stick with people even when they don't make us feel good, that's the moment when that relationship goes to a deeper level. You can see that same dynamic in the life of David. David complains that he doesn't feel God's presence, that God has abandoned him. But he persists in trying to communicate. He stays in the conversation even when the feeling isn't there. He stays open, waiting for a response. He doesn't give up. Even when he struggles, David is still investing time and energy in the conversation. Maybe that's the heart that God saw and affirmed. Because whatever his flaws, David lived his life in relationship with God. He lived his life as an ongoing conversation. And I think that's one of the most difficult and important things that we can do as human beings on this earth. Live our lives in relationship to God. With humility, of course, with an awareness that God doesn't speak only to us, that God's bigger than we can possibly imagine. With an awareness that we need an entire community to help us to hear God. John Henry Newman, a great Anglican thinker who ended up a Roman Catholic cardinal, said that the project of human life is to enter into relationship with God says that when we're young and carefree we tend to think that it's an unfair burden having to pray continually to continually as he says live our lives in reference to the will of another but the older we get he goes on the more we realize that living independent of God is not all that it's cracked up to be. We realize over time that we're not made for independence that it will do for a while but that it isn't enough to carry us through the dark places of life, to carry us through to the end. We're not our own, he says. We are made for relationship with God, and the sooner we realize it, the happier we'll be. Amen.